Welcome to the English One Pre-AP Midterm Review Audio Supplement. So I'm not going to go through and give you the answers to the review so much as I'm going to go through and illuminate these concepts and skills to help you on your test next week. So we'll start off with poetic terms. And again, I'm not going to give you the definitions, but tie it into stuff that we've read and stuff that we have written. So when we talk about simile, you already know the definition of simile, or you should, but let me give you a few examples. If you read the Balianoptera poem from Joshua Bennett, the same guy who did Tamara's Opus, he's describing his wife when they're old. He says, when we're old, hair the color of tombstones, bones that sound like wet windshield wipers when we slow dance through the living room. So kind of a squeaking noise and how when she laughs, the wrinkles at the corners of her eyes look like six willow branches all lifting their heads from prayer in unison. So comparing something using like or as in those similes, but it's giving us images that help us understand this naturalistic imagery, these beautiful pictures to help us understand the concepts. Uh, whereas metaphor, it's a little bit different, kind of the same idea. Uh, when we did the voices lesson, you guys saw the two different performances of voices, the song written by Switchfoot, the second performance featuring Lindsey Sterling on the violin. And it begins, my words come out like avalanche in silence. So that's the metaphor, but then he goes, the simile, sorry. Then he goes into the metaphor, you have oceans trapped in your eyelids. So it's talking about the breadth and the depth of the salt water that's trapped. And of course, he's talking about tears, emotions, swirling emotions. So the metaphor really dives in and gives us that image, simile and metaphor, connecting images to a concept to help illustrate what the author's trying to say. Speaking of what the author's trying to say, the tone also influences where the author is going. For example, the opening lines of the song Alexander Hamilton caught many of us by surprise because of the strong language that he uses and how this particular person, uh, son of someone that they don't quite know his, uh, I guess you could say, paternal parentage, and his mother and his upbringing and surprises everyone because he changes the world. But the tone definitely is impacted by certain elements. In fact, if you'll remember, we did an exercise where we watched The Ocean Maker and there was no words. All we had to rely on was the music and how that impacted the tone, the lighting, how it impacted the tone, the uh, when the protagonist is shot trying to save the world by producing water and she sacrifices herself, kind of a Christ figure motif in literature, someone has to sacrifice themselves for the good of everyone else. The tone is impacted by so many different elements. We looked at that with, with voices and how in the second performance they projected the words, uh, the negative comments on social media, and that changed the tone of the passage as well. So tone is very important and it's closely tied, as we'll talk about in a little bit, to the words contained in the passage. Now, when it comes to mood, I want to make this separation that tone is not the exact same thing as mood. Tone will always be the author's attitude, and the mood will always be the audience's response. For example, if your coach has an angry tone, chances are that the team is going to have either a fearful mood or a mournful mood because they don't always match. Tone and mood are not the exact same thing. One impacts the other. Sometimes they do match, like if uh, an artist has a sad tone to a song, you hear it, it puts you in your feels, then you may also have a sad mood. But they're not always the same thing. For example, we have a, in Tamara's Opus, he had a regretful, a mournful tone about things that he 
he should have done when he had the time, but he didn't do it when he had the chance. And our mood is more of kind of a melancholy, like, wow, that's really sad. Wow, that's really deep. Whereas he's more upset, not angry, but more upset and regret, regretting what he didn't do. We move on down to analogy, and that's comparing things again. Similes and metaphors are both analogies. So when you see an author comparing two things, what he's trying to do is illustrate qualities of this thing that you may not consider. Like when he offers the whale's heart to his wife and says, look, see, the biggest heartbeat God ever made, and now it's all yours. We also, when we come to analogy, this is kind of that mini lesson we talked about with the image sandwich, where if you can peg an image to a concept, Every time that you bring up that concept, then we have kind of this concrete image to associate with it, and that makes your writing better. And if you can spot that in someone else's writing, you'll be able to pick up their themes more easily. Speaking of divisions of writing, stanzas in a poem are pretty much like verses in a song. We've read several songs. We've read several poems. The stanzas and their separations are important because the author makes that choice to separate, hey, I'm going to transition into another thing here, or I'm going to pause for my refrain, my chorus here. So stanzas are important. Rhyme is also important, the rhyme scheme. If you recall in Shakespearean sonnets, we have the A, B, A, B, C, D, C, D, E, F, E, F, G, G. And again, having gone through Romeo and Juliet, most of the nobility, the aristocracy, they speak in iambic pentameter, which is meter, the next uh, blank on your review. And that's going to be your two syllables with the second syllable stressed. Two households both alike in dignity. In fair Verona, where we lay our scene. And so the the uh, ruling class, they speak that way throughout most of the play. And you didn't really notice in the performances we saw, because that was more theatrical as opposed to poetic. So whenever he's saying, oh, you didn't go to sleep, were you spending the night with Rosaline? And he's like, uh, dear father, no. With Rosaline, dear father, no. I have forgot that name, and that name's woe. So it's iambic pentameter as you go back. But soft what light through yonder window breaks, it is the east and Juliet the sun. So it follows most of that pattern. Meter is very important because it gives you that rhythm. So we're going to move out of poetry into kind of fiction and literary nonfiction. Characterization. How does the author develop characters? Well, in order to remember this, it's something that we covered quite a while back where we said that the author uses characters to explore the theme. So instead of just saying, you know, uh, kids, listen to your parents. They can tell you a story. Billy was a happy little kid, but he hated following instructions. And his mom would always say, Billy, tie your shoes. And Billy would always say, no. One day, Billy tripped and fell in the street and was ran over by the ice cream truck. So then the theme, the moral of the story here is children listen to your parents. But we have this, oh, Billy, he sounds cool. He sounds rebellious. Whoa, what a rebel. And he dies. And you say, oh, now the author has shown me this message through the vehicle of this character. So how does the author develop the characters? You really need to clue into their dialogue. You need to clue into their interactions. So the next question, what is the importance of their interactions with each other? When people interact with each other, we are at the age where your brains can discern and analyze and see how the way they treat each other tells us who they are. One of my old callbacks for characterization is the first entrance of Jack Sparrow into the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise. He doesn't say his name. He doesn't say he's a pirate. But the guy at the dock says, you there, it's a shilling to tie your boat to the dock and I shall need to know your name. So Jack Sparrow looks at his boat, that rinky dink thing that sunk and he's tied up to the dock. And he looks at the guy and he says this. What do you say to three shillings and we forget the name? 
And when he says and does that, we know everything we need to know about him. He's not honest. He doesn't follow the rules. He doesn't want them to know who he is. He's kind of a cagey guy, kind of piratey if you think about it. So the importance of interactions with each other is that the author can tell us indirectly who they are without saying Billy was a happy boy who never listened to his parents. He could say things like uh, Rosara yelled at her mother. That's what her mother was like. So then we can begin to develop this. Oh, the mom is headstrong, but she's trying to protect the daughter. The daughter is also headstrong, probably gets it from her mom. Then she has to learn the hard way. So which is more important? actions or words and it's kind of a trick question because my answer here is both in the absence of action all we have to go off of is words but if you have both words and actions and their actions are going to be more powerful than the things they say they're going to do for example romeo and juliet say oh, i'm gonna love you forever i'm gonna love you forever but their actions show that their forever is rather short-sighted so in the absence of actions the words are all you have to go off of but if you have both actions and words, then actions are going to kind of outweigh that. When it comes to tone, speaking of words, how does the strength of certain words alter the tone of a passage? Now, you may recall we introduced or we kind of recapped and followed up on the voices lesson with this phrase. I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed. Because those are two feelings, two separate degrees of negative emotion. One of them is uh, kind of resignation, like, well, I hope you learned your lesson. The other one, when you say I'm mad, that implies you're going to take action. You are upset. It's consuming you. So the words that we use can change the entire tone of a passage in not just poetry, but also in conversations. When you say things like I'm fine, as opposed to I've been better or I'll be okay. The words that you use change the tone of what you're talking about. So we're going to dabble in sentence structure here. You do need to know the definition of simple sentences, compound sentences, and complex sentences. And be prepared on your midterm to address compound complex sentences. So I'll go ahead and let you dig deep and find out the differences between those. Also, make sure you pay attention to punctuation rules, things like commas, semicolons, quotation marks. Does the period or comma go inside the quotation mark? Does it go outside the quotation mark? That's going to play a key role in your understanding of grammar. Transitions. We did a little bit on transitions, but it would behoove you to review that. Additive transitions are when you are continuing on in the same vein. So there are many benefits to owning a dog. There are both physical and mental, similar, likewise, in addition. Then you've got your adversative transitions, where the two opposing ideas. So when you say things like, um, we talked about the pros and cons of technology. So you can say there's a benefit. On the other hand, conversely, in contrast, that kind of thing. And then you have your standard sequential, first, next, following, finally, in conclusion, that kind of stuff. Now, I cannot stress this enough, which is why it's all capital letters and the word dictionary is boldface. Remember to use your dictionary for any spelling or definition questions. There is no reason for you to get those wrong when you are allowed to use a dictionary throughout the entire test. So I hope this audio review has been helpful for you. Feel free to run it back. And uh, don't forget to smash that like and subscribe buttons. We'll hope to see you again next time on Mr. Six in the Morning. Peace.